Hello and welcome back to the Living Imperfectly podcast with me, your host, Claire. This podcast is all about providing you with real, honest discussions on how embracing imperfection can be a helpful approach to improving our relationship with food, body image, exercise, and navigating through our messy lives in general. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do me a wee favour and leave a review because it helps the podcast way more than you realise. Today, I am joined by John Clark to talk all about identity in training. I'd say this episode is a bit different to the others, but it's a conversation that I wanted to have because I feel it will be helpful to many people. Now, I followed John on social media after listening to a podcast that he was on quite a few years ago now. And there's a few reasons that I I decided to follow him. And firstly, obviously, the stuff that he spoke about in the podcast, I could totally relate to. And of course, we're going to discuss that in this episode too. But also when I went on to his social media, I thought this guy is doing amazing things. Like he's a coach, he's a business owner of several businesses. And at that time he had gone from Britain's natural strongest man to doing, to training for at that time, 48 marathons in 48 days for charity. Like what the actual hell? (laughs) That is polar opposite of a style of training. But the thing that confirmed the need to hit that follow button was something he said in his bio. (laughs) He had a whiskey symbol, which like next to it had (laughs) 67% loose cannon. Well, that was me sold. I mean, that to me is authenticity. It's like, hey, here's me and this is what I'm all about. I bloody love it. I think the world needs more of that instead of trying to paint this like perfect picture, which we all know eh, there is no such thing. Anyway, enough of my ramblings. Let's get into the actual episode where we discuss identity in training. Now buckle in because there is so much gold to be taken from this. Hello, John. How are you? Welcome Hi. to the podcast. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Just before I uh, hit record, this is always happens. We have a little chat before and then I'm like, right, you need to hit the uh, actual record button. I was just saying that I've followed John for a while now since I listened to him on a podcast. So I'm very honoured that you have said yes to coming on my podcast. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so I'm just going to get stuck into it and ask you some questions around identity and training. Tell me more about, like, why do you train the way you train? Which is actually a fascinating journey to watch on social media, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, I suppose the the main rationale behind my training at the minute um is longevity and still being able to walk in a few years time um as obviously you've seen through my exploits over the years a lot of my 
sports have not been kind to the body. So a lot of my stuff at the minute is uh, health focused rather than trying to be the strongest or fittest or fastest or most stupid that I can possibly be. So yeah, a lot of, we've kind of come full circle really and back to the realms of training to feel better, be healthy, to move well, still be able to play with the kids and all that as cliche as it sounds. So, so yeah, my training is kind of quite boring nowadays compared to what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's great. Like it's good to have variety, which you certainly have had. Um, and I think as well, sometimes we can, our identity can get really like wrapped in one particular like area and I think why I was really curious to get you on is I kind of want to get an understanding on like do you feel your identity is like a huge part of like training is a huge part of your identity yeah absolutely I think it's a huge part of your external and internal identity isn't it like mm -hmm. for many years I identified as a rugby player and then I was a strong man and then I was an ultra athlete and now I'm just John um, and externally internally it's a massive part of who you are and what you do for a lot of us the gym is more than just health and fitness it's part of our motivation it's part of the baseline that we set for the rest of our lives it's part of a contract with ourselves to try and be better in various parts of our life but it is a challenge and that was one of the things that I learned when I retired from Strongman the first time um, was how quickly we can get too wrapped up in what we in who we are by dictated to by what we do and this is what I found since I've recently retired the second time and final time from Strongman is so many people are oh, you're not really posting any training now what you're doing and I'm like because no one wants to see me squat just 140 kilos for 10 reps like that's not what the people are there to see they want to see the 300 kilo squats and all the stupid shit that I used to do so whereas before 10 years ago I'd have been tr frustrated that I didn't have anything that was almost postable on Instagram or to demonstrate to the world what I was doing and the, yeah I think it, it can become quite a large part of why you do things and I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that we should be internally and extrinsically motivated I know that some people sit one side of the fence or the other but I think both are equally relevant to the rationale of why we do what we do um, so yeah I think over the years, I've identified as a person by the sport or activity that I'm doing, whereas now it's the means to an outcome rather than an identity, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And in that kind of, I guess, transitions between a lot of the different things that you've done, especially, I mean, obviously I was in particular quite curious, the strongman to ultra running, because I'm in ultra running that transition how did how did that change that transition in identity because that's quite a different area <laughs> yeah it was it was difficult I mean obviously it was physically difficult and changing changing sports like when I was at my peak as a strongman athlete I was 180 kilograms in weight and I was out of breath doing anything longer than 10 meters of a carry Whereas then going to the point where I was running 250 kilometers across the Sahara Desert, it's that's a huge journey, both physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and everything else in between. But it's that acceptance that people will judge it regardless. Um, and that's the thing that I found. Like I went 
I was hemorrhaging Instagram followers and all the metrics that the gurus tell you you should be bothered by because we had all these other strength fanatics that were now like, well, why is this fat lad trying to run? Like, what's that got to do with me? And you can take that personally and think, oh, well, actually, should I be doing this? Does anyone really care? And the answer to that question always is no, no one really does. It's do what is right for you, what's best for you, not what you think is better for an Instagram algorithm. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a challenging change because everyone had an opinion on it. Everyone was telling me it couldn't be done, but but that wasn't anything new to me, right? Because with strongman as a drug-free athlete living in a chemically enhanced world, I was told that I wouldn't be able to do half the things that I did do in that arena as well. So I'm used to being told it can't be done. Um, but for many, they possibly wouldn't have gone through with it because of the potential harm on their identity and people's perception of them. And and it's hard of letting go of what you used to identify as and what used to define what people knew you for. Um, but as soon as you move on to the next thing, you realize how quick you very quickly realize how much people didn't really were that bothered in the first place. Like for all of my stupid things I've done, the accolades, the records, and all of that, the majority of the people that I know that I play rugby with have no idea that I've done all of that. It's completely new to them when one of them came into the gym the other day and saw my wall of trophies and picture frames and stuff. And they were like, I have no idea that you did this. I just thought you were a prop that played at the rugby club. And it's that, for me, is a big realisation that no matter what you change or transfer into, the people that judge you based on what you used to do will have forgotten about what you did within minutes. So do what you want to do, not what you think other people think you should be doing, if that, if that makes sense. A hundred percent makes sense. I can totally uh, relate to that, having been told how to run, where to run, what distances to run. And there is a little part of me that is like, I'm going to show you that I, I can, which some people would maybe say, well, that's not a healthy driver. But then, you know, there obviously is the true driver of what you, it kind of fuels the fire, doesn't it? Of something you want, if somebody's telling you not to do it. Um, that's how I feel anyway. Um, yeah. I don't know if I you think, can relate to that. <laughs> I think on that subject, I think it's, it's, it's multifaceted. I think it's a mixture of the two. Like I think your internal driver has to be the strongest thing because yeah. internal, I'm not a fan of the motivation concept. I'm more a fan of accountability. So you're not going to be accountability to, accountable to your goal if it doesn't mean something to you. But it's the external stuff that, for me, is the motivator. And that's the bit that gets you out of bed to make sure that you're accountable to the goal because of other people's doubt, other people's negativity, other people's positivity and support. Like, it's... I'll use a 24-hour skirg as an example. I always feel like when I mention events I've done, like, I'm, like, name-dropping. But um, the 24-hour the skirg, 24 hours on a skirg, non-stop, constant, trying to break the world record. And so many people, when I finished that, were like, I couldn't do that. I don't know anyone that could do that. Now, if you've got kids, right? Yep. So if I put your ski egg in front of you, took your kids away from you and said, you'll never see them again unless you finish 24 hours on that ski egg nonstop. Oh, I'd be there. I'd do be doing it. <laughs> I'd be on it. Yeah you'd, like, yeah, you'd be like 48 hours in, like next challenge. This is too easy. Because it's an internal thing that means something to you, but that's also driven by external motivation to get to the end goal as well so i always say anyone can do the stupid stuff i've done you just need to have a why that's strong enough to put yourself through that amount of pain and suffering and i think that that's the challenge that a lot of people face and why they quit with things if 
the internal why isn't strong enough and they're just doing it for external gratification or sponsorships or likes or follows, that's where it very quickly, not that the mask slips, but it very quickly falls apart and they don't do as well or as much as they thought they were capable of. So for me, it's always been really channeling into the inner, why am I doing this? And then what are my external folk factors that feed that motivation to finish it? Um, and that's the thing, like with the, the 48, 48, 48, there were days that I absolutely wanted to quit. But then I remember someone that had said, I don't think you'll finish it or I'll be amazed if you get halfway and little words like that that then become fuel to the fire. And I'm, I'm, I hate quoting David Goggins because I disagree with a lot of the stuff that he says on mental toughness, but that's a, probably a whole other podcast. Um, but he calls it obviously his cookie jar. So eat from the cookie jar when you need an external motivating factor. And that is one of the few things I actually agree with him on. But the external identification of motivation is what creates the motivation to be accountable to the goal. But you have to have a really clear internal why for that to matter. Um, so that's why I always look at it whenever I'm considering what next, what do I want to do next? It's well, what is my why to do it? And if that isn't, if it's a meh, not that bothered then for me it's not enough of a reason to do it just because someone said that I couldn't it's do I actually want to do it and then if I can then away we go so and that's the thing now everyone's asking me oh what next and there isn't a what next because I've not come up with a why for a reason to do anything that I feel strongly enough to put myself through another ridiculous amount of suffering (laughs) I love that because you know you're not a performing monkey it's not just like come on like what's next if you haven't figured out what that thing is it's 100 you know especially for to the levels of training that you would have had to have gone through for all the things that you have done you know there I can imagine there would have been a lot of times that you didn't want to get up at certain time in the morning or train at certain time or there was life stuff that got in the way um so I 100% agree with you. It, you. The driver, you internally, there has to be a deep-rooted why to that specific thing to help you through the ups and downs of like life in general. And especially when you've got kids as well, that adds another mix in there as well because it is... Um, it's it's hard navigating training through having children as well. I think it's important to say that too. Yeah, it's hard navigating anything hard. Like, and this is the thing that really frustrates me: the fitness industry and social media. It's almost a one-upmanship of who's struggling most, who's doing the hardest thing, who can do the most in one in twenty-four hours. But to some, I'm not going to say the word just, but just running a five k is a really hard thing to build towards as much as me running my first marathon would have been. That doesn't make the 5K any less important than a marathon because that's what's hard. That's re- hard is relative to the person, the lifestyle, the situation, the social, economic, financial, professional situation. Like I could not have trained to do 48 marathons now given my current lifestyle with a one-year-old. But when I did it, I didn't have a one-year-old that was waking me up all manners and hours of the night and being grouchy and shouting at me. So, and this is the thing is like the fitness industry wants to push and push and push and push. And it's like next hard thing, next hard thing, next hard thing. But as I say to a lot of people, like hard things come at a cost, whether it's time, whether it's scars, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's fun, everything comes at a cost, whether having a child and raising a family comes at a cost to time, finances, your body, all the other bits that come with it. Running 48 marathons in 48 days comes at a cost. I've still got significant 
physical issues that I'm still working around from that. Um, it took me six months before I could actually think clearly and do basic mathematics again after finishing up. Like all these hard things come at a price. And I think the challenge that the world that we live in now is we should always be doing something hard. Um, and you almost feel guilty if your current training goal is just to be healthy, just to enjoy training. Like, and this is the thing now, the majority of people, when I see them for the first time in a while, it's like, oh, what's next? And to, to enjoy retirement from stupidity for a little while. Um, but I guess where I'm going with it is to say that, yeah, the doing hard things is hard, but hard is relative to the person and the situation and the circumstance. And I think too many of us, compare our heart to somebody else's and think we should be doing more when actually like that's your own fight to fight not comparing yours to anybody else's yeah and going back to Goggins because I do like him but I also disagree with a lot of things he says as well it's like we can't all be on that level like some of us like you say are getting woken up all the way through the night and um so you know that that is the that's the hard that is our hard in that situation is sleep, coping with sleep deprivation. Yeah, but Claire, remember, we've all got the same twenty four hours, right? We've all got no, we don't. We don't. I tell you. <laughs> exactly that, and this is the thing. Like, a few, a few of my friends are like Gogginites, and uh, I won't sit here and slag the guy. He's done incredible things, but um, the whole palace mind thing is a perfect recipe to live a very unhappy and unfulfilled lifestyle. So for me, and I know one of the questions that comes up later is kind of motivating factors and whatnot, but gratification from doing what you're doing is half the reason why we do it, right? Enjoying the journey, enjoying the process, as cliche as it sounds. So if you lose your family, life, social circle, and everyone around you just in the pursuit of doing a task, was it really worth it? And and I think that's a challenge a lot of people face nowadays is like they want to do something, but they're worried about the cost. And the cost is something that people need to weigh up because I say not cost is just in finances, but time for the money relationships and all the bits that come with it. Um, I'm, I'm helping somebody train towards 10 marathons in 10 days. And they're now quite quickly understanding the cost to the body and to suffering and to time and the training volume. So all these hard things come at a cost. And we don't all have the same amount of collateral to spend. Some of us have partners that actually want to see us and kids that need us and businesses that rely on us being there day to day. Um, so we don't have the same 24 hours. We don't even have the same hour in the day because at in, in any point, as we be late for this podcast demonstrates, some of the idiot that crashes into another car ruin the hour anyway um but yeah i think i guess the point that i'm trying to make and i guess kind of where we've led to is don't dictate your training identity and where you want to go and what you want to do based on comparison to somebody else's goals yes there's trailblazers yes there's people that want to do things for the very first time myself included but do it because you want to do it not because you want to identify as this outlier that is desperate to be the world's first to do stuff because I did the 48, 48, 48, which is the first time anyone had ever done it. And within uh, six weeks, another gentleman had run 48 and 30. So my world record, world first, lasted 30 days, um, which just highlights the point of these records are broken. They don't last long. And pretty much everything that was once listed in my Insta bio is now former rather than current record. So do it because you want to do it, not because you're chasing greatness, because inevitably that that isn't a thing um it, you should do it because it satisfies you your wants your needs your goals and your personal sadistic can i do it 
um, rather than what somebody else will think of you for completing the goal. Yeah, I, I, I can totally relate to that. And I think it's a great reminder. Um, as well as like transitioning through like different sports and it's also like dealing with other people's negative comments we kind of briefly mentioned it but I guess like knowing your why can help with handling those but it still is a hard thing to challenge like how did you feel about about that like did you find it hard to deal with negative comments Um, you get this whole like you shouldn't care other people's opinions not relevant to you and uh, your reputation is what people say about you, your character is who you are, and all those cliches and whatnot. And I've had a ridiculous amount of mud thrown at me over the years, from professional to personal to sports. And I don't know why. I think some people just rub some people up the wrong way. Um, and it is difficult because you want to stand there and start defending yourself and volleying mm. back at them and being like, well, you said this, I disagree, and you're a prick, I'm not the prick, you're the dick. And it's just like... But you could just end up wasting an innate amount of energy in in those conversations. And ultimately, if someone's judged you or made an opinion of your ability or you as a person or or anything like that, from not even knowing you, just from something they've heard or something they've seen or you're challenging their perception of something, then it's not that their opinion doesn't matter, but is it worth spending energy? So as we went back to earlier, everything has a cost. Engaging with an idiot has a cost. It has a cost to your time, to your mental capacity, to probably your sleep because you'll be sat there thinking about what you should have said or how you could have retorted back in a more witty way, whatever it might be. So it is difficult. And a lot of people that go, oh, others' opinions doesn't matter to me. It's absolute nonsense. It does. And I've worked with countless professional sports people that are in the public eye that have said the same. Like they try and drown it out, but these comments will still linger and they'll still be in the back of your mind. But for me, it's how you frame it, how you perceive it and how you then use it positively um the amount of people that said oh there's no way you'll pull 400 kilograms as a drug-free athlete and that fueled me for a good 18 months to then deadlift 400 kilograms the amount of people that said there's no way you'll run 48 marathons in 48 days well watch me and so it's not about i know not one person did i ever reply back to be like argue with them mm-hmm. your opinion your opinion I didn't ask for your unsolicited opinion, but thanks for giving it to me anyway. The amount of screenshots I've got on my phone over the years where I've just screenshotted those comments. And whenever I am struggling, can't be bothered to get out of bed, really not feeling the hard training, just look at those messages to remind me that those are the people that say I can't. So it's trying to turn a negative into a positive. But if you argue, if you argue with a negative impact, a negative opinion, a negative times a negative in this occasion, doesn't make a positive. It just adds more negativity. So for me, I try and reframe the negativity into something that drives me, but not that consumes me. Uh, And that's the difference. Because at the same time, you could be sat there like, one of the days I was running really struggling in a hole, and I was like, oh, maybe these people are right. Maybe this is a fool's errand. Maybe I'm not good enough, fit enough, or maybe this is the thing that's going to break me. Um, but they can quickly be turned around back into a positive of going, no, those are the people that you're doing, that you're proving wrong. So negativity, and the problem is nowadays, as everyone always says, social media, it's everyone's got an opinion, but unfortunately social media has given every idiot a platform to tell you that opinion. Uh, but at the same time, that's the price, the cost of posting on social media. You open the door to idiots having an opinion or just people having an opinion. Like Sometimes they're not idiots, they're just genuinely think they're giving a 
an educated opinion, which you didn't ask for anyway, but it's the, the, the price of doing business. If you want to do anything that's hard, difficult, goes against the grain, challenges the status quo or the belief of what is possible, then you need to expect that you're going to get criticized, judged um, and whatnot. And it's interesting, like using a modern day um, thing that's happening in the news at the minute, like this Titanic submarine, like people before it went missing were like, it's incredible. It's amazing. It's this technology that's wonderful and doing things that no one's ever done. Now it's gone missing and people's lives are in danger. It was reckless. It was stupid. How the hell did they think that was a good idea? Blah, blah, blah. So the narrative will change regardless. So it's up to you to control what you want to control within that and do what you think is right for you because the walls will turn both positively and negatively depending on how well it's going. Um, and that's why I have a very, very small circle nowadays of three or four people and they're my fact checkers and my ego checkers and I rely on them to tell me whether what I'm doing is stupid, reckless, ego-driven, um, rather than listening to strangers on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Arguing with strangers on the internet. Mm. It's never... That's actually probably a great way to waste time. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's, it's like that um, that quote, I can never name, do, it pro- do it justice, but arguing with idiots is like playing chess with a pigeon. It will knock over the pieces and say that it's won regardless. Um and, and that's the thing, isn't it? They want to join you in some argument. And it's great for the algorithm. It's like, well, keep replying to me. It helps the algorithm. But at the same time, I'm just wasting energy that I could be spent doing something more productive. Um, but yeah, it's part of it. It's part of it. And uh, I mean, I won Britain's strongest man, which uh, Britain's natural strongest man, which is a drug test of strongman competition in 2016. So that's seven, seven years ago, right? The other day, I was openly, I'm not going to say attacked, but openly accused online on Instagram by someone that's fairly well known in the strongman circles of being a fake natty. So a fake drug free strongman. And I'm like seven years ago, seven years ago. And you're still holding on to that resentment that when I won the title, it was because one of your athletes didn't. (laughs) Um, And and that's the thing. It's amazing how petty and pathetic people can be. Um, But you've just, yeah, smile and wave and try not to let it affect you. But anyone that says it doesn't is lying. It, it does affect you and it does sit there at the back of your mind and it does make you doubt and question. But that's natural. That It should do. Anyone saying nasty things or negative things is going to make you question what you're doing. Um, and this is the whole, another reason why I don't like this whole, like, doubt never entered my mind and I never even con- accepted or contemplated failure. Like, bullshit. If you're doing something hard, you're going to question routinely is am I doing the right thing and if you're not questioning daily then you're not doing a hard thing Um, (laughs) so and it's why a lot of people quit when they're thinking of doing something hard or in the middle of doing something hard because they're like oh well such and such influencer says you should never question it you should never even think you're going to fail and it's like bullshit you're always going to have that doubt but it's how you silence it with experience and understanding of your why and a laser focus on on getting the job or the training or the goal completed. So, um, so yeah, that's how I handle negativity. Um, but yeah, it, it's a constant challenge. And every now and again, I'll get some curveball of a comment that I wasn't expecting that will throw me off. But again, smile and wave, smile and wave. <laughs> and that is the thing about social media is you don't know 
when they're going to come. You don't know when those curveballs are going to get thrown at you, where they're going to come from. It's like people that you're like, like you mentioned, like seven years ago, like, really? <laughs> I wasn't thinking about that. You've been thinking about that for seven years. Um, I had it after I finished the 48 marathon. To finish the 48, we raised 50 grand. And a guy who used to train at a gym that we closed during COVID, you know, the thing called The Law, where we had to close our martial arts gyms, he took umbrage at the fact that we closed the business and never reopened because we lost tens of thousands of pounds during COVID, which I'm not too proud to admit. Um, and he went off on a conspiracy theory month, like weeks after I'd finished the 48, that the 48 was a wild um, way of laundering the money uh, to recover my losses from COVID times. I'm like, wow. Like th there are so many easy ways to raise 50 grand. If I'd have just stayed at home for this, this six, seven weeks and put the six months of training that I did into growing my business, I'd have probably made 50 grand faster than running 48 marathons. Plus the fact it went into a ch registered charity that's regulated by HMRC. But, but yeah, it amazes you some of the things that come out from left field of people's wild mind imagination that, again, you just smile and wave. <laughs> All right, lads, if that's what you think, cool. But um, let me know how HMRC are going <laughs> to see that one, if that's the case. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to inspect our books as they do with all charitable commissions. But, but yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, whenever, I mean, I haven't had too many negative comments, but when I have on social media, I'm always like, oh, that's interesting. What is what is going on with that person? I always get curious and then, and then let it go and get on with my life because, like you say, it just costs too much of my energy. <laughs> um. Yeah. There was something that you said on the podcast that I actually, when I listened to your pod, the podcast, I actually took down notes, which I'm totally going to par paraphrase here because my notes were pretty sketchy. But here we go. You said you don't have to document everything and tell everyone of what you want to achieve. Remove the added pressure. Why do you feel that we get caught up in this need to do this? I think it's metrics that now matter in modern life. Like I was talking to an elderly gentleman a while ago and we were just chatting about running and with my current build being back into strength, strength sports and whatnot, I don't look like a runner anymore. And when you tell people that, oh, I I have done X and they're almost like blown away that you've done that. But I'm guilty of doing that with other people. And there's like I've talked to this gent, I've known him for a while, and he happened to mention that he'd run the um John O'Groats to Lamb's End in his 30s when he was a lot when he was younger. And it was this almost reminder of the amount of stuff that people used to do for self-gratification because they wanted to do it, because they wanted to achieve those things rather than they wanted Instagram followers or likes or comments or dopamine hits of egos. And I think that's the challenge that I always say, I get so many people messaging me going, oh, I'm thinking of doing X. Do you think it's doable? And the question is always, well, why do you want to do it? And if it's anywhere near uh, notoriety or even like world records and world first to be the first to do it, I don't think that's true strong enough reason to do it like there has to be a deeper reason and i think the problem is now is that so many people make decisions on they're going to do something to identify as something because they want to show that they 
they want to show that to other people, if that makes sense. And I've said quite this time before that I don't think many people, as many people do strongman as they do if it wasn't for having a nice Facebook profile of them lifting a big concrete atlas stone. Like, if we took away all of that, before Facebook and social media became a thing, the amount of people that did these really hard things was very small. But now that we have social media, more people are doing stuff to try and get this notoriety or this likes, follows, shares, and all the other crap that comes with it. And that's not to say it's not important, because it's a double-edged sword. The more people that see it, the more money you'll raise if you're doing it for charitable causes. So I'm not blind to that. But I guess the point that I'm making is, if you're thinking of doing a hard thing, you're thinking of changing or transitioning to a sport or take on a challenge or do an Ironman or run your first marathon or things like that. For me, the question is always first, would you do it if no one was watching? And the answer, if the answer is yes, then you're probably halfway there to go. And yeah, that's a good idea then because no one is watching when you're training. Like you, no one's there. I used to have to get up at 5am on a Saturday morning to run a marathon, then go back out on a Saturday evening to run a half marathon. And then the next day run two half marathons. That was one of my hardest training weekends. No one's there with you doing that. No one's there watching you or patting you on the back or high-fiving you. And yeah, you can put an Instagram post up and get a few high fives, but that's really not a big enough reason to go and literally crucify yourself in the pissing down rain to get ready to run 48 marathons. So the concept is, would you do it if no one was watching? Would you do it if no one cared? I think is a big thing. And then if it generates traction and media coverage and all that kind of stuff, then that's a bonus and an extra. But I know certain people plan to do hard things as part of a media PR schedule to try and grow a social media presence. Um, so I guess, yeah, the point I'm getting at is, would you do it if no one was watching or no one cared? And if the answer is no, then you're not really doing it for an own internal reason. And that's not to say you couldn't do it or you shouldn't do it, but it's just saying that it's probably going to be harder to do it than if it was a real deep desire to want to try. Um, and yeah, I guess that's my stance on it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think as well, like Strava, I mean, I'm on Strava, um, but I always think if you like have a total meltdown freak out, if your run hasn't uploaded on Strava and be like, okay, well, does that matter? Cause you've just had a nice run. Like what is it important about, is it everybody else liking it or looking at it or what is it? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like a, I like Strava, I like data, I like looking at it, I like looking at other people's running on it as well, but it's what the relationship and the intent, I think, as well. So I agree with you. If you took all that away, would you still do that thing? Would you still get up at five or whatever time you're going out and do that thing? That, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've had people that have asked to... My, I ended up turning my Strava to a private profile because I got sick of the judgment of people telling me about my pacing or my heart rates. And I remember being out on runs thinking, oh, this is going to look shit on Strava. I need to hurry up. Or my heart rate's too low and thinking about disconnecting my heart rate. My heart rate's too high and thinking about disconnecting my heart rate monitor because I couldn't be bothered with people telling me I'm not running in true zone two and all this kind of stuff. And when I finished the 48, I disconnected my watch from Strava. I've moved away from a Garmin and went back to an Apple Watch. And I only picked back up a Garmin again when I ran Marathon de Sable. And the MDS data is on my Garmin. I've not even uploaded it to the Garmin site. It's not even uploaded to Strava. 
And the amount of people that are like, why have you not added it on? That's like, you should add that on. And it's like, well, I've got a medal and I've got photos of me running across the Sahara. Like, I don't, yeah. need, I don't need Strava to confirm that I struggled for five days in heat <laughs> running across the sand dunes. If it's um, not on Strava, it didn't happen. You're going to uh, go back uh, it and do it again. <laughs> yeah, all those photos are AI. It's not me. It's, it's an AI. Don't worry. But and I think that's the thing, isn't it? And it is like, well, what is, what's the why? Why are you doing it? And if you use Strava to monitor your own data and manage your, your outputs and your data points, cool. But for a lot of people, but then on the flip side, it is like social media, right? It's a double-edged, double-edged sword because. For some people, that's the accountability that they need to get the fuck up and go running. Like, is thinking, well, if I don't do this run, then people on Strava might judge or think, oh, well, you didn't do all the training you were meant to do or unpick your effort levels. So for some, it's a massive account, it's a massive part of their accountability. But I guess for me, what I'm trying to get at, if that's your sole focus is the world patting you on the back and saying, high five, well done, aren't you great? Eventually it will, it will break down. And some of the baddest blokes that I know in terms of doing hard shit and stupid stuff they train in silence, they don't have watches, they don't they barely have a bloody iPhone like they just crack on for the love of cracking on um, and that's what I'd love to I'd love to aspire to but a lot of the stuff that I do is fundraising based so I have to play the social media game because that helps raise funding but yeah some of the like I've got clients that are very high up in special force regiments. I've got guys that are doing pretty dark stuff um, that you they don't even have a social media profile. And those are the guys that I'm like, fair play. Like, I wonder how many people wouldn't do what they did, what they do right now if it wasn't for social media and gratification by others. And, and look, I get it. It's important. It matters. It helps. But if you're going to do a hard thing, do it because you want to do it, not because you think it would look good in your Insta bio or a pinned post at the top of your page. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I agree. And we've kind of like mentioned this throughout, but about our whole identity being built around our goals and how that won't really fulfill us. But like, what do you feel like brings us or allows us to see what is full fulfillment in life how do we get to that place where we don't get caught up in our goals being everything <laughs> my answer to this has changed over time so i actually think fulfillment true fulfillment like i'm yet to find it um i think things like though i think they are almost like buzzwords like i want to be happy well, what is happiness like you can win the lottery and then crash your car on the same day. Like so, happiness is an emotional response to a situation, right? It's um, it's a feeling, much like motivation comes and goes, happiness comes and goes, fulfillment comes and goes. So, for me, fulfillment is based around the beauty and the work and completing a challenge. But you never really fully feel, you never reach this feeling of ah, oh, I've arrived. By doing it like i got to day 46 of the 48 and people were like you're doing it you're smashing it it must be such an amazing feeling crossing the finish line i was like no nah, i just want to fucking get it done if i'm honest day 47 was the same day 48 everyone's like oh the emotion the release and i was like no i'm just fucking glad i don't have to get up run tomorrow there wasn't it, it took me like three four months until i looked back and i was like do you know what that was a pretty fucking cool thing to do but you didn't have this moment of 
namaste type yeah, thing. Like, oh, it, I've completed yeah, it. Strama, right? So my first Midland Strama was mine. I did that. I came fourth. Frustrated, annoyed. I was like, I want my first race trophy. I grafted my arse off for a year. Went back 12 months later, won. Still on this little makeshift podium. They passed me this big Thor's hammer. I was like, still on the podium thinking, right, heavens are going to open. I've arrived. I've won the title. I've just spent a year working towards. And they passed me the trophy. And I was like, now what? Like, what is the motivating factor now? And again, you look at the most successful athletes and Conor McGregor, like him, love him, is a classic example of this. Like the quote about him was, it's hard to get out of bed at 5 a.m. running when you're sleeping in silk pajamas. Like when you achieve great things or good things or things that you consider hard, it then means that you've now no longer got a goal. You've no longer got an accountable thing to work towards. So fulfillment is a, a double-edged sword. I keep using this phrase, but you achieve something, you feel great, you've done it. High five to me, well done. But then it's that, now what? Like, what's the next thing? Because you feel like I said earlier, people feel like you should be always striving towards something and hustle 24-7, always grind mentality that the world loves to promote at the minute. And I think fulfillment is a feeling of achievement in the goal, but that isn't instant. I don't think that happens the minute it happens. You get a release of energy and a release of happiness and an emotional response to the situation. But ultimately, fulfillment comes in reflection, I think. What did we learn? What lessons can I take forward in with life? Who who did I meet? What relationships have I built? Like, did I enjoy it? Was there much happiness or was it just struggle for the whole situation that I was doing it? And truth be told, that's half the reason I walked away from Strongman for the first time, because I just wasn't enjoying it. It was an expectation that I'd compete, I'd win, I'd compete, I'd win. And it was just, there's no fun in this anymore. I just feel high pressure and there's no reward when I do win and there's just negativity if I don't so I walked away from it and I think that's the challenge with fulfillment and happiness and searching for these things is that when you achieve fulfillment you then lose focus and there's a reason why so many of these really successful people that so many people look up to to aspire to be just don't look very happy they look like they're constantly grinding constantly trying to prove someone right someone wrong prove that they can like, again, McGregor is an example. I'm sure some MMA fans will disagree with me. He should have bloody retired years ago, but he's still desperate to fight and be relevant and chase something. But he doesn't need to anymore. Like, he's a billionaire. So what is your motivation when you have all of that? And I think that's the thing. If you're doing something to chase fulfillment, like, the, the world of social media and the world of fitness industry especially loves to make things quite binary. Black, white, yes, no. Do this, be happy. Do this, be fulfilled. It's never the case. For me, it's what lessons can we learn? What good can we do? How much can we enjoy the process? And how much can we understand ourselves on a much deeper level? Um, and that, for me, is where the true fulfillment side comes. And and this is the thing. So I finished Marathon de Saab, 250 kilometers through the Sahara Desert. I genuinely sat down on day three in the middle of a snowstorm thinking that was me dead. Like I was trapped in, on the top of a mountain, no visibility, 60 mile an hour sandstorm, run out of water, dehydrated, hallucinating, um, sat on the edge of a rock thinking this is my time. I'm done. I'm out. Um, some legend that I still haven't actually found, even though I've been trying to find out who they were, managed to pick me up, gave me some of their water, and literally dragged me over the mountain to get me to the next checkpoint. 
And it was at that point that I realised, you know, I've got nothing left to learn by putting myself in harm's way. Because at what point do you learn what breaks you? Like, and what good is it showing you if you're broken? Like, I could keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, but achieving these really, really hard things isn't changing my life. I've learned, and some people say this is the wrong way to look at it, but I've learned all the lessons that doing hard shit like that can teach me. I know I'm stubborn. I know I'm resilient. I know I'll work through pain. And I know if my why is strong enough, nothing will stop me from moving forward, relentless forward motion. Mm -hmm. So all I'm doing by making life harder and harder and harder is making life harder and harder and harder. So why do I feel like I've got to almost chastise myself just to find fulfillment and so for me it was what lessons did we learn on that mountain and the mountain is do you know what like I can do hard stuff I don't need to keep refreshing my hard hardness barometer because I know even times where business is hard life's hard kids are hard money finances whatever I've always got those as anchors to look back and go yeah it wasn't as hard as being sat on that mountain thinking that you were gonna die so for me that's the that's the balance of why we do things for me it's lessons it's learning it's character development it's not just i'm now going to arrive the heavens are going to open and i'm going to achieve peak fulfillment because it doesn't happen and that's why if people win one world champion they want a second when they want a second they want a third and they only retire when it becomes obvious that eventually they're just not physically competent or capable to do that anymore but if they could do it forever they'd do it forever because more 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 it's just more mentality longer harder faster stronger rather than it, i've learned everything i need to learn so i'm happy to close that chapter on on that part of my life and i'm, I'm assuming a lot of your listeners are not thinking oh i'm going to go row the atlantic or run across the sahara but the point i'm trying to make is find the lessons in the hard thing that you're doing whether it's couch to 5k whether it's John O'Groats to Land's End, whether it's a 200 kilo deadlift, there's lessons if you're willing to look for them. And those lessons are what will define you as a person, not other people's opinion of you achieving those outcomes. Um, and for me, that's where the growth in inverted commas come from. Not this whole hustle culture of more, 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 harder, 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 more pain, more pain, more pain. And for what? Um, and that is goes against the grain because every time I say this on a podcast, I lose followers because people are like, well, it's boring now. I can't really do anything else. It's difficult. Um, oh. And I'm sure I will because as an idle hand, um, what is it? Idle minds make for restless hands or whatever the phrase is. But uh, I, I butchered that quote. But anyway, but the point I'm making, I'm sure there will be something that I'll come up with because I can't sit still for too long. But right now, two, nearly, uh, no, a year and a half on since my last challenge. I'm pretty content with the lessons I've learned and the things that I've done. And if that's all I ever do, I'll, I'll be happy with that. But I think, and I, I totally agree with, uh, with all of that. And like, that's how I see my own personal training is always a reflective thing. And um, what am I learning? What am I getting out of this? But I think what, because we do live in a world, especially in like fitness as well, hustle, hustle more and more and more we don't actually allow ourselves to take that minute to pause and reflect. I think that's the missing part for a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of the clients that I work with, that's what I encourage all the time. Stop, pause, what is going on? What are you actually getting from this? How is it impacting your life? Is it taking you away from the joy in life or are you actually getting something from this and but if we are just always doing and rushing around 
we, we won't learn from what we're doing. Yeah, and that's the thing, like, things like MDS, that's why they're life-changing, because they enforce that pause. Yeah. You are in the middle of the Sahara Desert, you have no phone reception, you have no, well, my music lasted a day because the sandstorm destroyed my MP3 player. Um, you have no one around you. You don't have your social circle, your family, your loved ones in your ear. It's just you mm-hmm. for five days in the middle of a desert, <laughs> exercising the demons. As, yeah. as And eventually you have to, you, you, you've run through all the different life experiences and memories and regrets and shoulda, woulda, couldas. And then you get round into those questions of, well, what is the meaning of life? Why am I doing these things? What brings me to this point in my life? Um, and um, slightly off tangent here, but have you ever watched Yellowstone? No. No. So there's a scene in that where an Indian reservation takes one of the guys out and basically puts them in a little square pen and he has to stay there for three or four days until he has a vision. And I said to my wife when we were watching that, that is what MDS is. That's what these hard things are, because you're su- you're doing something with no external distraction. When in life are you disconnected from your phone, your life, your loved ones, financial pressures, time pressures, kids, the lot? When else are we fully disconnected from that? Never, apart from stupid stuff like that. Um, and that, for me, is that was one of the biggest things I learned in the desert was remember to reflect remember to disconnect and take some time to review to learn to check in with yourself like I talk a lot with my business consultancy with the guys that I coach with their businesses as we for for me I measure my success in my time my fun and my money within a business concept so a lot of people will judge it on how many gyms have you got how many members have you got what's your turnover what's your gross profit for me it's how much time do I have to, to do my job, but also see my family. How much fun do I have, both at home and at work? And then how much money do I have? Because that then funds the lifestyle that me and my family want to live. And if you're not checking in with those three things constantly, then you're just a busy fool. Because you're working, 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 more money, more time, more freedom, more fun. But if you haven't actually set a baseline of what you want to achieve, then you'll never appreciate when you get there and you'll never respect the fact that when you're there, that sometimes that's enough. But yeah, I could open another gym. Yeah, I could open, I could take on more online clients. I could do more, 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 more. But another few thousand pounds a month isn't going to affect my quality of life. I don't think it will decrease it because I'll be a busy, I'll be busier. I'll have less time. I'll have less fun, but I'll have more money. So one dial turns the others down. And this is why I say to a lot of people when they're thinking of doing hard things is what's the cost, but what's the impact? So we need to actually take that reflection and what impact does that have on our time off and our money in our life, in our businesses, in our careers, in our families. And unless you're actually truly reflecting on the things that matter, the rest is all a fool's errand. And this is why I've said so many times to other people, what is your version of success? Like, is it a financial number? Is it money in the bank? Is it time where you can do the school run in the morning, in the evening and not have to work? Is it to retire at the age of 40? Is it five gyms? Is it one gym? What your version of success is your version of success. And no one can tell you that's not successful if that's what you deem successful. But if you haven't defined what that is, you can never truly achieve it because you're constantly chasing more, 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 more. And so this whole internal reflection thing is massive. And I I really push this concept of quarterly reflection with all the businesses I work with. And not just KPIs, but checking in with yourself. 
are you fulfilled? Are you happy? Are you enjoying what you're doing right now? And if not, why not? And you shouldn't always enjoy everything you do because that's not how life works. But if you're working harder for an extended period of time and there isn't a reason why, that needs to be addressed. And it's the same with training. It's the same with the gym. It's the same with running. It's the same with rugby. Whatever your sport or activity is, if you're not enjoying it and there's no outcome at the end of it, then you're doing it because you're identifying as that rather than because there's a goal to it. Um, and therefore you then will never reach fulfillment. You'll never enjoy it. You'll never achieve this happiness at the end of it. And it will just be another year of wasted movement and movement isn't always good. Sometimes just staying where you are and enjoying where you are is good. Um, and I think that's a challenge, but again, everything is more, more, harder, harder, stronger, stronger, faster, faster. And we almost feel like if we're not moving forward, we're going backwards. But if, if my business just continues to rise with inflation and I have the same amount of money month on month as I do now, I'll be happy. I don't need to double my income, treble my income because my income gives me the lifestyle that my family wants to have. Same with my training. I could double my training. I could push harder. I could do more. I could be more, but where's the return on that investment? And that's the way I always view things. And when I'm thinking of doing something stupid is what's the why and what's the return. And if that doesn't stack up, then we don't do it. Um, so yeah, self-reflection is massive and it's such an integral part that people are really bad at. Um, with a lot of my athletes that are doing hard things, like, like hard, hard things, again, isn't it? I'm kind of contradicting myself there, but guys that are doing really stupid challenges that are not normally seen, I actually check, I promote with them a daily check-in. So we all brush our teeth at the end of the day. So actually look yourself in the eye in the mirror it's amazing how many people can't do that look yourself in the eye and ask yourself did i do my best today and if you didn't then you need to sort that shit out because you should be able to say yes i did doesn't mean that you did everything you were meant to but did you try your best because effort is the only currency to me that really matters like as long as you give me your best win lose or draw i don't care but I, what i cannot tolerate in the people that i coach is a lack of effort and not doing what they said they would. That's quite an old school value that my granddad kind of entrenched in me. But for me, if you want to do hard things, you better be prepared to do the things that you said you would. And that includes checking in with yourself at the end of the day. And did you do what you said you were going to do? And wow. that's a great thing that I think anyone that's listening could possibly integrate into their day-to-day -day life right now. But I guarantee most of your listeners probably will feel quite uncomfortable doing that for fear of what the answer will be or even just looking themselves directly in the eye at the end of the day and asking that question. Um, so there's a challenge to anyone that's listening. Do that I, for the next seven days and see what your productivity does as a result. I love that. My granddad was very similar, uh, exactly the same. He always used to say, if you want to do hard things, you're going to have to do hard work um, and you have to pay attention every day on what you're doing. Is it taking you closer or is it taking you further away? And I do think it's um, it, it is something you need to check. I do it all the time, I, every day, every day. Like, what did I do? And and you don't necessarily, like you say, it's not always going to be, yes, I absolutely bossed it. Sometimes it's going to be like, God, I didn't see that coming today. <laughs> but I can learn from that. And if that comes up again, this is what I'm going to do or try. Um, so, yeah, no, I love I use the whole behavior, um, excuses or reasons. Like a lot of us wrap up excuses as a reason we didn't do something. 
And yes, there are times where a traffic jam or a kid getting sick or something will be a genuine reason why you didn't do what you were meant to do that day. But for the most part, we're just hiding excuses and wrapping them up as reasons as to why we didn't do them. Um, and that, again, like, is it because the pain of staying the same is less than the pain of change? And for most people, it is. So they'll wrap up some excuse, call it a reason, and that's why they're still where they are. And that's why the intrinsic goal side becomes really apparent because you've got to be willing to call yourself out on your bullshit. Like, I haven't trained today. I could blame the traffic jam. I could blame work. I could blame my computer doing a manual bloody automatic restart that cost me an hour. But it is just an excuse. I could have still crafted time into my diary if that was in my hierarchy of importance. Like old John, if I was training for the 48, you'd have got a message about three hours ago saying, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to rearrange because I would have prioritized training over this conversation. That's just hierarchy of what was important at that time. But now training is, I can just move it to tomorrow because I, I'm not on a time limit to get something done. So again, these, these ways of living for me are relevant to the goal at hand. And this is a fundamental difference I think I have to a lot of gurus. I'm not going to mention his name again, but it's, it's almost like that's how you should live. And it's like, no, that's how you should live in times of not war, but that's the whole like, when you're at war with a task, when you're doing something really hard, those are non-negotiable behaviours you need to exhibit. But when you're just enjoying the roses, enjoying the view and just happy with where you're at, those are not necessarily behaviours that you have to do for life. Um, and I think that's something that gets lost in translation, that you have to have this constant, relentless drive to get better, to do more, to be more, to check in with yourself. And it the importance of it and the regularity of it is going to be relevant to the outcome that you're trying to achieve. Um, and yeah, so don't get stuck in the mindset that you've got to do something for life. Um, it's something to do if you want to instantly get better. And it's something to do if you really want to focus on improvement. But when you get to that point and it's about maintenance, then you're checking maybe weekly rather than daily, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So the regularity of cold hard truth of what you're doing is relevant to the difficulty of the task that you're trying to achieve yeah yeah agree agree um what advice would you give to somebody who is perhaps in a place where their whole identity is in their training and it's not necessarily perhaps the type of training that they want to be in um but fearful of moving away from all of that identity. Yeah, I think that requires deep internal reflection on what matters and means something to you and whose opinion actually matters. Um, I think, again, too often we do things because of what others think and what others identify as ours and what our sport is like for years. I was like, oh, hi, I'm John. I, I'm, I play rugby kind of behavior or when I had multiple gyms pre-COVID, it was, oh, I'm John, I'm gym owner or business owner. Whereas now I'm John. Like, I don't feel the need to label myself with any of these past achievements because no one cares. And eventually you don't care either. So this is the thing, like, someone said the other day, that like, oh, did it not annoy you that, like, you're walking around and no one knows what you've done? I'm like, nah, it used to. Well, maybe after I'd done it, I'd be walking around and be like, 
do you not do you not know who I am? Do you not know what I did? Because you want everyone to be proud of what you've achieved. But the longer that you go away from it, the more you realize no one no one cared anyway. Like think like again, I, I've used this analogy before. Have you ever heard of a guy called Phil Fister? Probably no. not. So he won World's Strongest Man, I think it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, won it once, retired, never really competed again. Uh, he was the World's Strongest Man, and no one's really heard. Unless you're a true strength fan, you've never heard of him. So do you really think you running an Ironman or not running an Ironman this year is going to be remembered and put on your tombstone? <laughs> Probably not. And and I think the problem is, is we, we want to put so much emphasis on those goals because that's what helps us to be motivated, to be accountable. And we like this idea of externally motivating ourselves. But if it's not bringing you peace, clarity, personal fulfillment, development, opportunities to learn, get better and improve, then why, why are you doing it? And I think those are questions that you can only answer yourself, whether that's something you need to take yourself away from it all and just have a bit of time to work that through. Or whether that's a long going, a long ongoing process, but eventually the sport that you do, the activities that you do, will eventually fade because you'll get older, you'll get injuries, you'll have muscle degradation, joint injuries, all the stuff that comes with age. Which I can absolutely tell you mm-hmm. is I'm feeling everyone in my 36 years on this planet, um, and eventually that goes. So then what? And you see it all the time, professional sportsmen and women that retire and then it's like, well, what am I? Who am I? What do I do now? So the end is coming, whether it's now or whether it's in 10 years. So you need to be, you need to understand and unpick as soon as you can who you are and what role that sport plays within your existence and contribution to the world around you, the people that matter and your own happiness. Because, yeah, eventually that the end will arrive, whether it's by your decision or Mother Nature's ability to say, no, nah, that knee does not want to do that anymore. So settle <laughs> down, you've done. Um, so you might as well embrace that and accept it and understand what are you outside of this sport and what do you want to do? Because time is limited. And if I had my time again, I, I know people are like, oh, don't do it with regrets, bullshit. We've all got regrets. That's that no matter what anyone says, you yeah. still regret. <laughs> um, but if I had my time again, I missed my golden window in Stronger. I was knocking on the door to try and get into pro, like proper pro shows, knocking on the door at Giants Live qualifiers. That was my golden window. But I walked away because I wasn't happy, fulfilled, and I was sick of being in pain, sick of my knee hurting, and blah, blah, blah. And the more time that's gone past now, I look back thinking, oh, maybe I should have just carried on. But then I look back at photos of myself and you can see the sadness and pain and misery in my eyes. So it was the right decision to do. And I guess the point I'm making is you'll always second guess your decisions that you make, whether you change sport, leave sport, check, stay in the same sport. And there will always be a what if. Like I have been hours running. What if I'd have carried on running? What if I'd have got on to do an Ironman? What if I'd have continued on that endurance line? It's all, there always will be. But as soon as you understand who you are, those what-ifs are easier to answer because you realise that actually they're not really that relevant anyway. Like, again, like, who really knows that I was the first person to run 48 marathon, 48 days and 48 counties in England? Like, I'm one of over a 1,000 people that have run across the Sahara Desert, but who really cares? None of that shit's going on my headstone. Like, none of that shit's the things that my kids will tell other people about. Like, mm-hmm. and... It's, it's like that whole, I I cringe at this quote that I used to 
um, that I used to use. And it's like, you die twice. You die when you're put in the ground and you die the last time anyone ever speaks your name. And I used to use that quote as a justification for doing stupid things because you wanted to outlive the legacy of your own life and people to remember the stuff that you did and blah, blah, blah. But the older you get, the more you realise that no matter what you do, no matter what incredible things you do or what horrendous things you do, in two generations' time, you're not going to be remembered on this planet anyway. So you might as well do the things that you want to do rather than chasing legacy or longevity after your death and all these things that so many blokes gender stereotypically there but blokes tend to get tied up into as well so yeah unpick that why why are you doing it what do you want to do what is your relationship with yourself what fulfills you what makes you feel like you're learning improving moving forwards um and then how do you quantify success for me in business time for money for at home those are different metrics in sport they're different metrics again so what is success to you? And then work towards that, not what other people deem as successful. Because the amount of times that I've said, oh, like people have asked me about the marathons and they've asked me what time did you run them in? I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to go back to my Strava to find out because that wasn't a metric that I cared about. For some, it's like, oh, how fast did you run 48 marathons? I'm like, are you for real? Mm-hmm. But that metric didn't matter to me. So Again, it's amazing how what other people's versions of metrics that matter don't mean anything to you. So the only person that ultimately gets to say what success is, is is you. Um, And as we said earlier, for some success is having the lights on, having the heating turned on or the fan turned on and having food in the oven. For others, it's doing stupid shit. But what does success look like to you work towards that and then celebrate the fact that you get there and reflect on how you've got there and what lessons you've learned and what you can now take into the next phase, whatever that may be, whether that's professional, whether it's sport, whether it's training, whether it's family, whatever it might be. But once you figured that out, that's where you truly grow, quote unquote, but that's where, that's how winning is done as far as I'm concerned. It's what lessons did we learn? How did we grow? How can we put that into action? Like we've all done stuff in the past where we treated people badly and we wish that we hadn't have done that, treated them that way. And that that then affects you positively in future relationships. And for me, training is just the same. Like what lessons did we learn? How can that affect our future actions and behaviors and outcomes? I mean, we live a happier, more fulfilled, more inspired lifestyle than just doing it because you're 700 Instagram followers think that it's cool that you do it. I love it. I love that. Yeah, I agree with it. I agree with all of that. Um, is there anything else that you want to share around identity in general? Um, I think I think it's just to reiterate that point. I know I've kind of rambled quite a bit to you, and I have a really bad habit of starting an answer and then going down. Oh no, it. I'm here for it. I love it. I'm. I love it. But, <laughs> I think the thing is for me with identity is you get to decide. Like, as, like in that last answer to the question, is you get to choose what success looks like. Professionally, personally, academically, training, sport. Like, I play for a local rugby team now, and for us, success last year was to finish in the top half of the table. Other teams in that league would be like, ours is to win. Other teams in the league are harder to survive, to not get relegated. 
And no team is right or wrong, but the version of success is relevant to the situation that that team is in, in that league at that given time, with the personnel they have, the resources they have, the skill, fitness and ability that was available to them. And for me, that is us, that's life. Like my version of success will be different now because I've got four children, four businesses, a wife. My version of success years ago was far simpler when I was single, did what I want and didn't do an awful lot in my business. So the point that I guess I'm making is your identity is up to you to decide. It's not dictated to by anybody else, but you have to make that decision based on the facts of what is around you. So don't get hung up on this. Oh, well, I have to be doing X because that person's doing it. What are your resources? How resourceful are you with those resources? What is the cost that you're willing to pay? And that will help you to decide what you want to do or what success looks like. And if you're not prepared to pay the cost of entry, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all the other bits that come with it, that's fine. That doesn't make you shit. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you're not prepared to pay that cost of entry for that particular thing. We've all gone to buy something and gone, oh, oh no, not spending that amount of money on it. Um, I like that car, but I'm not spending that much. And that that is all it is. is that, what is the cost of entry? Are you prepared to pay the price? And if not, then that's fine. Move on. Um, so, yeah, I guess the point that I'm making is identity is for no one to decide but you. Success is for no one else to decide but you. And that should be based around your position, your resources, your resourcefulness and the situation around you. And as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day, on any given day, thinking, do you know what? I tried my best. I did what I could. For me, then what else can we do in life? Like if you open a business, if you try and do a hard thing and you fail, as long as you didn't fail because of lack of effort, I don't think anyone could possibly ridicule, take the piss or say anything negative. Even if they did, they're people that you absolutely don't want in your life anyway. Um, so that is my concluding summary of get shit done, by John Clark. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was like getting ready to like clap. I was like, yes, <laughs> I like the summary. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to come on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And of course, thanks to the lovely listeners for taking the time to listen. And I really hope that you have taken something from this episode that has helped in some way. I will put our contact details in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch, then please do. And I look forward to meeting you again on the next episode.